Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kate. How's it going? It's good. Finally enjoying this sub 100 degree weather. Isn't it incredible? It's nice. I want to say, can I say this? Was I a little chilly this morning? Did I feel a slight cool breeze? Did I have this desire to put on a jacket? Was I not (laughs) soaked in sweat in my jeans? What a day. What a, what day. a day it was. A nice little window into potential fall. Potential fall. Oh, <laughs> I'm so excited. Me too. So what do you have to drink today? Today I have a orange element. Mm, a nice refreshing flavor. Mm-hmm. Entering into that fall season. Transitioning, but I mean it still is hot and not cold enough to have the hot chocolate element. Right. I would agree with that. My hot chocolate elements, I've only been using in smoothies. (laughs) So keeping it cold. (laughs) Yeah. They are good in smoothies though. Mm -hmm. A little coffee, a little banana. Mm, Delicious. Quick tip. (laughs) Quick tip. How to use your elements. Coming soon. So Hannah, what are you drinking? I am having a little limoncello LaCroix. Also Mm. very refreshing. Very cool for this not 100, but still toasty day. Mm, that sounds delicious. All right, ready to get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Howdy, Howdy from Houston. Houston. I'm Kate. And I'm Hannah. And today we are talking about our favorite part of our most recent Oregon block, hematology and oncology. So we're wrapping this up. And this covered, the first two weeks was hematology, which is blood so that includes labs diseases of the blood clotting which we actually talked about clotting in a prior episode and then the second half of this block was oncology so cancers and we did kind of a general overview of cancer i don't think it's as much tested on our standardized tests but we definitely need to know about it going into our rotations Mm -hmm. we particularly focused on breast cancer, prostate cancer, and colon cancer, because those are three really common cancers in the U.S. So the faculty who taught us really wanted to make sure that we had at least a basic understanding of those three cancers because we are bound to see that while rotating. Right. And it was also a good introduction to general cancer that will get more focused on in our future organ blocks. So when we get into GI, we'll definitely talk about GI cancers, and so we'll have a good foundation already laid for that. Exactly. So Hannah, what was your favorite thing you learned in the hematology oncology organ block? Well, I thought back to when I was working as a scribe in family medicine, and so often you're seeing patients that are coming in for annual physicals. And part of the annual physical is almost always going to be lab work. So whenever a patient would come in and I'd be working as the scribe, I would pull up their lab work for the doctor and often look through what the values were and where they were high, where they were low, what was abnormal. And I didn't really know what I was looking at. There were very few things on there that I actually understood the purpose behind. Um, And going through the hematology portion of this class taught me how to read that section of a lab report, which sounds like very basic information, which it is, but it makes me feel so much more confident in a clinic setting now. If that's something I'm going to be looking at, I know what it means. And I know what the 
little abbreviations stand for. I know what is a normal range, what's an abnormal range, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. It definitely helps with my confidence. Yeah, that's a big part. So specifically with the lab reports, we talked about a CBC, which stands for complete blood count. So when you order labs, there are a bunch of different types of labs you can order, but this is one that's going to highlight a lot of information about the blood. So some of the things that are in a CBC, one of the things that you'll see on there is a WC, which is your white blood cell count. You'll see an RVC, which is your red blood cell count, and you'll see a platelet count, which obviously is a platelet count. And those three things are kind of the basic things that make up your blood, essentially. Um, So those numbers indicate those values. You'll see your hemoglobin, which these are the little molecules inside of your red blood cells that actually carry oxygen. And then you'll see your hematocrit. So your hematocrit is a percent of your blood that is made up of red blood cells. So your red blood cells contain your hemoglobin. So those values to me were always something I didn't really understand before studying for the MCAT or getting into med school. I was very confused (laughs) what that meant. So hemoglobin versus hematocrit. Um, You'll see your MCV, which stands for your mean cell volume. So MCV, mean cell volume, that's going to tell you the average size of your red blood cells. So that'll tell you if you have really big red blood cells or really small red blood cells or normal size red blood cells. So that's an important one to look at for different types of anemias and things like that. Another important value is your RDW. So this is also related to the size of your red blood cells. RDW stands for red cell distribution width. So this will tell you the variation of cell size. So it's not just if you have big cells or if you have small cells, but how differently sized are your cells? Do you have, maybe you have really big red blood cells, but you only have really big red blood cells. In that case, you wouldn't have a very big RDW because all your cells are the same size. But if you had a bunch of cells that were small, a bunch of cells that were medium sized, and a bunch of cells that were really big, then your RDW would be really big because it's saying that you have a lot of variation in your red blood cells. So those were just some interesting values from the CBC that now I know what they mean (laughs) and I can have some confidence when I'm reading uh, those lab reports. So another thing we learned about was called the RPIs. That stands for the reticulocyte production index. And what this tells you is basically what percentage of your blood is made up of reticulocytes. Now a reticulocyte is just like a baby red blood cell. So it's a, it's a red blood cell that's made in the bone marrow and is sent out into the bloodstream. And then after a couple of days, it matures into an official red blood cell. So up until it matures, it's just this little baby thing and you call it a reticulocyte. So reticulocytes indicate if your bone marrow is doing its job in producing the right amount of blood. So is your bone marrow producing the right amount of reticulocytes that will eventually become red blood cells? So in a normal healthy individual, your RPI is about 1%, which means of your circulating red blood cells, 1% of those are reticulocytes, baby red blood cells. The problem comes in when you have someone with anemia. So anemia means you have fewer red blood cells than you should. You don't have enough red blood cells going throughout your body. And this could be a problem usually because of one of two things. Either your bone marrow isn't doing its job in producing enough red blood cells, or your red blood cells are getting destroyed somewhere in your body. So it's either a production problem or a destruction problem. 
So that's where the RPI can be a really helpful value to look at. So the RPI takes into account somebody with anemia because when you have anemia, you don't have as many red blood cells. So that 1% value in a healthy person is not gonna make sense. It's not gonna compute correctly with somebody with anemia. So this RPI value in a person with anemia, if it is greater than 3%, what that means is your bone marrow is producing enough reticulocytes to, over, to try and overcome the anemia. So that will tell you that it's not a problem with the bone marrow. The bone marrow is doing its job. It's producing the reticulocytes. You got a lot of reticulocytes in circulation. Your bone marrow is really trying to make up for the fact that you are missing red blood cells. On the other side of things, if your RPI is less than 2%, what that tells you is your bone marrow is not producing enough red blood cells or reticulocytes. You don't have enough reticulocytes in circulation to try and keep up with the lack of red blood cells. So your source of anemia, therefore, is a production problem. So the really cool thing about RPI is it can tell you right away what direction you need to look if somebody comes in with anemia. So I just thought that was really neat that like we now know how to read a basic CBC. It's one of those things where before med school, you know, I would maybe get blood work done or my sister would or a friend and they would ask me what something meant on there and I would just have no idea. So I feel really confident now that I could look at it and figure it out, figure out what their counts mean, or potentially if there is something abnormal or something that's like, oh, you actually don't have to worry about that, all that kind of stuff. And now I know this is just the first step into really understanding labs because there's so much more that we have to learn about all the different panels, but this is a really cool first step into understanding CBCs. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was really cool as well. And I've had people ask me even in the last year about their lab work, and I just have no idea what any of the numbers mean. Sometimes it says on the side normal or the normal ranges. And so I look at that and I say, oh, look, on the thing you sent me, it says you're within the normal range. <laughs> or maybe you're slightly outside of the normal range. But beyond that, I could never tell. And now I can, which is so cool. Right. And not just if they're outside of the normal range, but if they're outside of the normal range in a high value, you you know what that means. Or if they're outside of the normal range in a low value, that means something different. And we know what that is. Right. So it's just really cool to, I don't know, get knowledge and <laughs> learn. Knowledge is cool. Knowledge is cool, guys. <laughs> Speaking of knowledge is cool. What was your favorite thing that you learned, Kate? I thought that breast cancer was actually really interesting to learn about. I thought, firstly, I thought it was interesting. And secondly, it's something that's so common and I didn't realize was a fear of mine until after I learned about it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, these are the different types of breast cancer. And these are the different treatments because similarly, kind of rewinding a little bit to you, I was also a scribe back in the day and I was a scribe for a little bit in an oncology clinic and there were so many patients with breast cancer. And recently someone I know was diagnosed with breast cancer and it just brought it to the forefront of my mind again. And while I'm still very young, the chances are pretty low that I would get breast cancer right now. It's something that was kind of in the back of my mind, like, ah, this could happen to me one day. And it was a little bit scary. And it's not something I really want to worry about right now for me. 
So learning about it just helped ease my worries just a little bit. And so that's partly why I wanted to share with you guys a little bit about breast cancer. So to start, there are two types. There's ductal breast cancer and there's lobular breast cancer. So in the breast tissue, there's the ducts, so like the tunnels, which finish with the little lobes, their little glands that will produce milk. Kind of like a cluster of grapes. Like the stem of the grapes is the duct, and then the grapes are the little lobules. Exactly. So the way cancer develops, it starts with just cell growth, cell proliferation, and there's slightly too many cells, but this can be resolved on its own. That can happen in different parts of the body. Usually the body can take care of it. But if it keeps going, the cells might turn into different shapes when you take them out and put them on a slide and stain them they might stain a darker color than healthy cells they start to crowd each other so normally cells respect each other's space it's like if you're standing in an elevator and there's four people in the elevator each person gets their own corner it's perfect everything is nice and spaced out and then when one person leaves the other three people rearrange themselves so that everything still nice and spaced out everyone gets their personal space with cancer, there's two people in the elevator, and maybe you are standing in your corner, patiently waiting for your floor to arrive, and someone walks on, and they stand right next to you. And you're like, excuse me, sir, there is the entire elevator. You do not have to stand right next to me. You can go stand on the other side and respect my space. So that is cancer. cancer. They stand right next to you with their arms spread out and like their legs where they throw their stuff everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> maybe know? they're on speakerphone. Yeah. They're just you never being know. obnoxious. Yeah. They're being obnoxious. Filling the space. Like, you're like, well, what are you doing here? So that progresses and they're getting more and more obnoxious. These cells slash that person. <laughs> And then when it finally breaks through the underlying membrane, it's called the basement membrane, that's when it's technically called cancer. Before that, it can just be a mass that could be cancerous and has potential to be cancerous, but that is a lot more easily treated than if it does invade the basement membrane because once it invades, then it has access to the bloodstream, it has its own nutrient supply, it can spread by going into the bloodstream. So that's why there's an emphasis on catching cancer early so that when the initial lump forms, you can just take it out and hopefully be in remission for the rest of your life. So with breast cancer, some risk factors are age, genetics, lifestyle slash environment, and another big one is lifetime exposure to estrogen, which is one of the female hormones. So importantly, with that, anything that decreases your exposure to estrogen will decrease your risk for breast cancer. So for example, childbearing, being pregnant and breastfeeding, that whole thing decreases your risk for breast cancer. Also, how early you get your first period versus when you start menopause can also decrease your risk for breast cancer. It's diagnosed by mammograms, so that's why there are guidelines on getting mammogram screenings. And when you do have a suspected breast cancer, there are a few different parameters they check. So they check the cancer for potential estrogen receptors 
They test it for progesterone receptors. They test it for HER2 receptors, which I'll explain what that is in the, just a minute. They also test it for something called a KI67. This measures cell division, so how fast is this tumor growing? And then getting into the different types of breast cancer, the first one you have is estrogen receptor positive. So usually this is also progesterone, progesterone receptor positive, but it doesn't have to be. This cancer is most common in older women because again, remember that risk factor of lifetime exposure to estrogen. Well, if you've been exposed to estrogen for 70 years, there is a correlation with increased estrogen exposure and development of breast cancer. So this breast cancer can be HER2 negative, which typically has a better prognosis. There's uh, more targeted treatment options or HER2 positive, which is a more aggressive tumor. Treatment for luminal cancers are hormone therapy, primarily to lower estrogen levels. Some of these drugs that you might hear about are tamoxifen, anastrozole, or one option is actually having your ovaries removed because then there's no more estrogen secreted in your body since your ovaries secrete estrogen. The next type of breast cancer that someone might be diagnosed with is a HER2 positive cancer. So I mentioned before, HER2 is a parameter they check. HER2 is a gene that can be over amplified, which causes cells to grow like crazy. So usually there's a lot of checks and balances in the cells when they grow so that if a cell is growing and the DNA is damaged, well, we don't need that cell anymore. So the body says, okay, you get to die. And with a HER2 positive tumor, that you get to die signal just doesn't happen. So these cells are growing like crazy. Thankfully, with this kind of cancer, there are HER2 targeted therapies. So the main one is called Herceptin, and that specifically targets the HER2 receptors on the tumor. The last one is a triple negative breast cancer. So this is usually the familial breast cancer when you think of the BRCA1, BRCA2 gene mutations that you might have heard about. So this one is estrogen receptor negative, progesterone receptor negative, and HER2 receptor negative. So there's no receptors on the tumor that we have drugs to target right now. The BRCA1 and 2 gene mutation, usually people are born with. BRCA1 is more commonly associated with breast cancer. The treatment for this is still in development. They're working on targeted therapies. So targeting the DNA, since it's a gene mutation, so a DNA gene mutation, they're working to specifically target that DNA. One medication they have right now for this is called Trodelvi. So that was kind of a lot about breast cancer. And it's definitely still scary, but I found that knowing the different breakdown, knowing that sometimes the tumor has receptors on it that you can target with specific medications that are out there, 
in addition to all the research that's going on about breast cancer right now, I'm going to do a breast cancer walk in maybe about six weeks from now or a month from now or something like that. There's so much research going into breast cancer and it's becoming a much more survivable cancer than it was probably even like five or ten years ago. So knowledge is power. Knowledge eases anxieties, I feel like. So I just wanted to share all of that with you. Yeah, I would definitely agree that knowledge eases anxieties. Um, I think you can definitely go overboard and go too deep down some rabbit holes on things, but I feel for me personally, a lot of fear surrounding diseases and sicknesses, and that includes cancer, is about not knowing how it works, not knowing where it comes from, not knowing how to treat it, what we can do to combat it. So learning more about it and feeling like I'm more equipped to handle it reduces those fears. So I totally agree that learning things and educating yourself um, and being educated by doctors and professionals and things like that definitely helps ease that fear. Yeah, and we hope to share some of that knowledge with you. So if you have any fears about this kind of stuff, hopefully we can help a little bit with that. Yeah, and don't be afraid to ask your doctor or you know, it's, you know, there's definitely, you can, like I said, go down a rabbit hole when you start Googling things, but there's nothing wrong with educating yourself and looking stuff up and trying to learn more about it if it is something that is a little scary. Yeah. Or you can ask us if you'd like, and we can do a little research, ask our professors, and maybe do a little podcast on that if you have any specific medical questions or general medical questions and how how could they do that kate how could they ask us those questions um you know i think we have an email do we we do (laughs) okay and and what would they do with that email they would type in howdy from houston podcast all one word at gmail.com into the little two part of an email like Mm -hmm. email subject line Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Body, also whatever you want. Whatever you want. Yeah. So we'd love to hear from you. Love your name. Love your name. And we will get back to you and reply with love our names. (laughs) What a kind exchange that would be. (laughs) Yeah. Just spreading love in this big, beautiful world. Point being, we'd love to hear from you. (laughs) Yeah. So... Email us, and we'll catch you on the next show. Catch you next time.